Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, it's a privilege to gather as your people. Uh, It's a privilege to have fellowship, knowing that we all uh, share the common faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, Lord, as we uh, look at this part of your word today, we know that you speak to us through your word by your spirit, and we ask that you would do that work in us this morning, that you would shape us more like your son, Jesus, that you'd cause us to look to you, and Lord, that you would challenge us, encourage us, rebuke us, or train us in uh, whichever part of our lives that you want to work in and through. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last month, uh, especially during the lockdown, uh, Andrew and I, we watched a lot of Olympics. Uh, Maybe you did too. And as we watched the many sports, uh, whether it be gymnastics, BMX, uh, triathlon, soccer, swimming, or the athletics, uh, you would have heard the commentators uh, talking about the backstory, uh, the background of uh, some of the individual athletes. And you would have heard the backstories of many of them, stories of tragedy, of hard work, of adversity, of setbacks. And you would have heard the stories of athletes overcoming all of these hurdles as they lined up in Tokyo and competed for their countries. We call them overcomers, good news stories, conquerors, victors, winners. And we love hearing good news stories like these. Well, as we get almost to the end of 1 John, uh, we remember in 1 John, in this letter, in this context, a bunch of people had left the church, uh, these false teachers holding on to false beliefs. And John writes to the remaining church, and he writes to encourage them, showing them that they're indeed children of God, that they really hold on to the true gospel, and that they were right to act in righteousness, holiness, to love others, and to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And as John, he finishes up, he wraps up this encouragement He wants to lift his readers' hearts yet again. Tim touched on this last week. Uh, John says in these verses, you're an overcomer. You're a victor. You're a conqueror. You're a good news story. And it's not just an empty encouragement. You see, John, he gives us the why, the how, and the reasons to believe this and what an overcomer really means. Maybe you're a believer this morning, and maybe this is the encouragement that you need today, that as you believe in Jesus, as you live out your faith in Christ, you need to know that you're an overcomer, no matter what's happening in your life. Maybe this morning you're not a believer. Well, this passage spells out what believing in Jesus is all about, what faith or trust in Jesus means, and how you can be an overcomer too. A couple years ago, actually, a Christian movie was released. It was called Overcomer. Some of you might have watched it. Uh, I haven't watched it, but I gather it's a good movie. It's very motivational. It's uplifting and encouraging. In fact, the song, there's a song that they wrote to Overcomer. It was all over 96.5. It's still uh, on the repeat today. And it says, you're an overcomer. Stay in the fight until the final round. 
you're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless, and that's when he reminds you that you're an overcomer. It's based on John 1 John 5 verse 5. But why are believers overcomers? Why are the children of God overcomers? Because if we don't know, if we don't know the why or the how or the what, it could be just empty, positive thinking. And John, like the movie and the song, he wants the believers to know that they are overcomers. But he wants them to know also the how, how they are victorious and how and why others aren't, how they conquer and what our positivity and our hope is based on. And God wants us, he wants you to know this today too. Because if we don't know the how or the why we are overcomers, maybe our faith is just empty positivity. And it won't last in the long run. And you might be found on that last day outside of a relationship with the holy creator God, outside of eternal life. Have a look at verse 4, if you have your Bibles. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Johnny sings the song, you're an overcomer, You've overcome the world. You've defeated the sinful human society that's against God. You've broken free of the enslaving power of the world. You've, taken, you've been taken out of the kingdom of death and the world, and you've been brought into the kingdom of life, of God. And John says it's not because of you. It's not because of your goodness, your strength, your worship, your positivity, this victory, this overcoming, it's because of your faith, your belief, the object of your trust. And what sort of trust, faith, is this? Is it a trust in God? Yes, it is. But it's not this vague, I believe there is a God, he exists, and we tip our hat to him sort of belief. We find that in our world even in our churches, when we talk about God. And I actually think that's dangerous because we need to be clear, you need to be clear who your faith is in, the object of our belief, how we overcome the world. And John's clear on this in verse 5. He says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? of God. How do children of God overcome the world? What's the object of our faith? Well, it's believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the promised one from God, God the Son. I've been watching a lot of fishing videos, and the one I saw recently, uh, these guys, they were on this remote island uh, far north Queensland. Uh, they got there with a $250,000 boat. And one morning, they're on this remote island. They woke up, and they found that the boat, this $250,000 boat, had overturned. It had broken it in half, and it had been dragged hundreds of meters offshore. 
It was completely written off. And it was all because they didn't anchor properly. You see, the false teachers here in John's time, they were like these fishermen. It seems that they denied, they downplayed, they rejected truths about Jesus. They didn't anchor properly. They got it all wrong, and the result is going to be ugly. But children of God, John's readers, us believers, the object of our faith, that's that's what anchoring properly looks like. That's how overcoming the world happens. That's where an unshakable hope comes from. That's how victory in life is won. You see, victory doesn't belong to Rome, to the powerhouses of the world, to the healthy and the wealthy, to the positive thinkers, to the Christ deniers, to the sinful world around us. It belongs to the one in Jesus, the humble, ordinary believer in Christ. The Joe Blow, the Jane Smith who leans on Jesus, the one who trusts him, the Son of God, in the big and the small. Well, how do children of God overcome the world? How can you overcome the world? Well, John says it's placing your trust completely in Jesus, the Son of God. Whether it's in your struggles at home or at work, you're an overcomer as you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, as your Lord and Saviour. Maybe it's in your battles with sin and worldliness. Or know that you're an overcomer as you rely on Jesus and live for the Son of God. Maybe it's in your crisis of health, finance, or relationships or whatever. Remember that you're an overcomer as you place your trust in Jesus for life and salvation. Even in times of blessing, and goodness, know that God's goodness and blessing on you, your overcoming, is all because of the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe you want to be an overcomer this morning. Well, God's word says, look to Jesus, whether it's the first or the hundredth time. He is Jesus Christ, is God's Son. He's the God-man who lived, died, rose into new life. He took the penalty for your sins, and he wins new life for those who trust in him. Look to Jesus, believe, trust, put your faith in him, and know this morning that you're an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Well, as we keep going, John now zooms into this truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Is it true? Can we believe it? What evidence is there? These are questions that people ask today. I've asked them. Maybe you have too. And John, he addresses this question. He answers it to encourage and give confidence to these readers. And it starts in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. 
You see, in the Old Testament law and in these ancient times in the first century, a court at the time needed two or three witnesses as part of its due process to show, to testify that something is true. These verses here today, they're sometimes called the most confusing or the most perplexing of the letter. What does water and blood really mean? There's a few different views, but the ones that make the most sense, I think, as evidences pointing to Jesus as the Son of God, the water is talking about Jesus' baptism, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, when God reveals as Jesus is baptized, this is my Son. And the blood, Jesus' death, where Jesus' work, his saving work was finished, where he was exalted, lifted up as the Messiah, the King, as alluded to in Psalm 2, God says, you are my son in that moment. And it's not clear, but it seems that when John says, not by water only, but by the blood, it might be that these false teachers around uh, these readers, they affirmed Jesus' baptism, but they denied Jesus' death which lines up with a false teaching around the time uh, that was saying that Jesus, he was just a man and he became divine at his baptism, but the divine, the godness, left Jesus before he died because how can someone who's God die? That's what these false teachers were saying. But the first witness testifying to the reality of Jesus as the Son of God is water. Jesus' baptism, it happened in history. The second, the blood, Jesus' death, it also happened in history. And the third witness, a present witness, an experienced witness, the Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit's role. It's not to conjure up emotion. It's not to work miracles. It's to point people to Jesus. It's to work in people to show them who Christ is. Jesus is. So can we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Or John to John's readers gives a resounding yes. In verse 7 it says, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. You see, if there was something fishy going on about if Jesus was the Son of God, it'd be pretty clear. Hate to admit this, but I've been watching The Block, the TV show, and over the past two weeks, uh, there's been a cheating scandal on The Blocks. Apparently, it's even worse than Married at First Sight. And it's pretty obvious that something fishy is going on because the people in the thick of this cheating scandal, the story keeps changing. They never line up. It doesn't add up. It never agrees. But John's argument here is that there's three different witnesses, but there's one common truth. They all agree, they all say, proclaim the same thing, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. If you think about it, God's Word, 66 books, different writers, over 2,000 years of revelation, they're all in perfect agreement. Jesus is the Son of God. That's worth looking into. That's worth being confident about. 
And John here now gets to his clincher comment in his argument in verse 9. If you read it, it says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. You see, after producing and giving out witnesses in line with the legal proceedings of the day, Johnny basically says, if we on one hand believe human truth, human testimony, but on the other hand, these aren't just human testimonies. This is God's testimony. In Jesus' baptism, when he says, this is my son, as Jesus died, God coronating his son as king, and the Holy Spirit, God himself, isn't God's testimony greater, more weighty, more worthy of belief, God's testimony about Jesus as the Son of God. We believe human witnesses, but this is God's testimony himself, which leads to this result in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So if we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if there's truth to back this up, if this testimony, this statement, this truth is true, then there's only two possible results. First, you believe Jesus as the Son of God, then this testimony is in you, the Spirit is indwelling in you, and you're given a deeper, greater assurance, your faith is stirred, knowing that you are right to trust Jesus. Or the second result, if you don't believe Jesus as the Son of God, it's the opposite. You reject God. You say his word, he, his revelation, all he is, that he's a liar. You see, we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, it's the most important truth to believe because believing in God, it all depends on trusting in God's Son. You see, you believe the Son, you believe God or you reject the Son, and you make God out to be a liar. C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. But John, he makes it even clearer here. He says, either God's right about Jesus as his only Son, or God's a liar. There's nothing in between. It's one or the other. Well, as we keep going, uh, in New South Wales and around the world, there's looking to be a huge divide, a huge contrast between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Whether you like it or not, vaccination freedoms, passports, restrictions and the like, they're all being talked about at the moment. But John here, he gives us an even bigger contrast he continues to build this massive divide between those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. Because that's what really matters when it's all said and done. What you think and what you believe about Jesus. Because if one only overcomes when trusting in Jesus, 
and we can believe that Jesus is the true Son of God, then it really does come down to what we believe about Jesus. And thinking about this, it's not just about right thinking, being right, right theology, whether God is true or lie. It's not just about being biblically accurate. It's not just about the details and the terms and conditions, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. It's not just about being correct, even though all those things are important. You see, believing in Jesus, getting Jesus right, getting the gospel right, getting who are children of God right, it's a question about life. Life or death. New life or no life. Eternal life or eternity in judgment. Have a look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. People always ask, what does Christianity boil down to? Is it a certain belief? Is it a certain behavior? Is it a certain mindset? Is it rituals or morals? And obviously, summary statements are always hard to encapsulate everything, to cover every single detail. But John, he makes a summary statement here. God offers eternal life, and it's only found in Jesus. If you have Jesus, if you trust in him, relying on putting your faith in, if you're united to Christ, you have eternal life. But if you don't have Jesus, if you don't believe that he is the Son of God, if you don't trust him, rely on him, if you don't put your faith in him, if you reject Jesus, well, you don't have eternal life. You see, eternal life, overcoming the world, it all boils down to what you believe about Jesus. And God calls us to believe in Jesus, to enjoy life, to be the one who overcomes the world, to have assurance of eternity. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty clear. It's black and white. So if you're not a Christian today, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, well, look into Jesus, because believing in Jesus is the key to eternal life. And if you already believe in Jesus, well, God, he reminds you, he assures you, whoever has the Son has life. He calls you to gaze again upon the Son of God, to find assurance and security in Jesus, to cast your eyes and to fix them on the Christ. Or if you've been going to church long enough, whether it's here at Hertford Street or somewhere else, you have probably heard this truth before. You've heard this good news on repeat many times. It's all in Jesus. It's all about 
Jesus, believing in him, trusting in him. But what does it mean from 1 John 5 for us today? Well, I've got four ways as we finish off. I think it ought to affect us today. Well, the first way, believing in Jesus is an exclusive truth. Believing in Jesus is an exclusive truth. When we say, when John says, whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son does not have life, this is an exclusive statement. It means that there are not many different ways to life, not many ways to God, and you just have to pick one of these ways, whether it be the Christian God, Buddha, Allah, doing good things, whoever or whatever your God is. You see, there's only one way to life. And it's Jesus. Believing in Jesus is an exclusive truth. And second, believing in Jesus is meant to be an explicit truth. I think one of the weaknesses of many Christians and many churches is that we're vague. We're vague. We're vague on what we believe. We say things like, just trust God, just have faith, have that worshipful time. We just want to be in the presence of God. It's just love, just do good. We thank God, we praise God, but it's vague. It's even confusing and mystical at times. And no wonder the next generation coming up, they don't carry on in faith in Jesus because they rarely heard it explicitly from their families and from their churches. Believing in Jesus is meant to be an explicit truth. If you really believe that Jesus is the only way to life, thank God for it. Praise God for it. Pray in light of the good news of life found in Jesus. Talk about trusting in Jesus and having faith in Jesus clearly. Be explicit, not vague about your belief in Christ. Third, believing in Jesus stirs us to endurance. We all know that the Christian life isn't smooth sailing. We still have health issues. We still have troubles in life. We suffer for our faith. But John, he reminds the believer, in Jesus, as your faith, your trust is in him, you're an overcomer. You've overcome the world. You look forward to eternal life in Jesus, no matter what happens today. And he says that, and he wants to say, be encouraged. Keep going. Live confidently. Don't let the world around you pull you down. You have Jesus, and in Jesus, eternal life is yours. Maybe you're not in the tough times of life. Well, it's still time to grow your trust, your belief in Jesus, so that when the valleys come, you've anchored, you've drilled deep in Christ, and you will endure because of that. And maybe today, you're in that toughness of life. You've been belted by the waves. Maybe this COVID background today kicks you down a bit more, whether it be the uncertainty 
or the mental health aspect, or fix your anchor on Jesus. Turn to him, drill deep into the gospel, and know that in Jesus you do have eternal life. You're an overcomer in Jesus. This is what I really need to hear this week. Many of you know my health has turned my life a bit upside down. It's been really hard going. But as I've been working through this passage through the week, I've been asking God, remind me, Lord, that in Jesus I'm an overcomer. That in Jesus I do have eternal life. And I've asked God to let this affect my mind, my heart, and to let these truths that we know, that we all know these things, but sometimes we need them to be drilled deeper to stir us to joyfully endure holding on to Jesus. The fourth and the final truth, belief in Jesus pushes us to be evangelistic. Belief in Jesus pushes us to be evangelistic. Johnny puts it so clear here, Believe in Jesus, eternal life. Not believing in Jesus, no life. And if we really, truly believe this, not only do we think about ourselves, but we ought to think about those around us. And we see the world, our community, our society through this new filter, this new lens. Those who have life and those who don't. Those who have Jesus and those who don't. And we all know people. We have family, friends, workmates, those we rub shoulders with day by day, people who don't know Jesus and don't have life. And hearing this exclusive truth, it pushes us to be evangelistic. It brings urgency to tell people who are dead without Jesus, to tell them about life in Jesus. So let me ask, how's your evangelistic urgency today? What are you doing about those in your life who are dead without Jesus? Who are you sharing Jesus with? And it's not just about joining the club, joining the church, becoming a member or winning an argument see, believing in Jesus is about much more than that. It's about life and death. So as we finish off this morning, believing in Jesus, it's an exclusive truth. It's meant to be an explicit truth. It stirs us to endurance, knowing that you're an overcomer. And it pushes us to evangelism telling people about this life and hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we believe in you as Lord and Saviour, you grant us life with you forever. Help us to know this morning that this new life is not found in anywhere else but you. Help us to be clear about the good news of life in you. And may your spirit work this truth and reality into our hearts and minds so that we would endure clinging to you. 
May you fuel us to share this great offer of life to those around us who are lost and dead and outside your kingdom. Lord, we thank you so much that as we believe in you, as we put our trust and faith in you and your saving sacrifice, that you grant us life forever in your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.